Well, you can join me in opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians in chapters 8 and 9. So if you're using one of the Bibles within reach under a seat nearby you, that's on page 967. So we are wrapping up our short series, Rhythms of Renewal, this morning. And so we had started the Gospel of Mark in the fall, and we took a break for Advent and this short series, and we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark midway through chapter 6 the next Sunday, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, So in this series, we've been looking at the habits of life that God gives us to bring renewal to us and to others through us. And each of these are a means that God uses to bring renewal, and so this morning we're focusing on generosity and giving. So when God brings renewal to someone's heart, generosity is what happens. A heart renewed by God's grace is a heart that loves to be generous and loves to give. Now, churches and pastors can tend to make uh, a mistake in erring on one of two extremes, right? So some pastors and churches can talk about this way too much and give the impression that we're mainly here to collect people's money. Um, Another extreme would be pastors and churches that talk about this too little. That would be where I tend to fall, right? I hardly ever talk about this, and I want to grow in that. And so this morning is even a step in that direction for me because money and what we do with it is a critically important part of our discipleship as Christians, of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus talked about money a lot, um, about what it says about our hearts, um, not just, you know, what to do with it, but why we use our money as we do. He called us to not worship money. So, um, I want to move toward the center here of faithfulness, talking about money, and we need to think faithfully about money as Christians and followers of Jesus. As Jesus. So, uh, the elders are going to be uh, helping give more attention to this as the church this year as well. So, we're a growing church in a growing area, and that brings with it uh, wonderful growing opportunities. And so, as we think about our ministry here as a church, as we think about our mission as a church, we're excited about a number of things that we can do together as a church. So, we're identifying staff roles that could help us and building updates that could help us and looking ahead, always wanting to support more missionaries to take the gospel to the nations and raising up pastors through um, internships and considering church planting Again, so there's a lot of great opportunities, and it's an opportunity for us to partner together. So this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and this is the longest text in the New Testament on the topic of giving, so we're not going to be able to go through all the details today. Maybe we'll come back to this for a short series at some point. Um, So we're going to walk through these two chapters, giving the big picture, and so what we'll do right now is read the beginning and end of this uh, text together. So we'll look at the first nine verses of chapter 8, and then we'll jump to chapter 9, verse 6. So let's hear God's Word together, beginning in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves, what an amazing statement, first to the Lord, 
and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now let's move ahead to chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word here, and uh, we have been entrusted by you with wealth, some of us uh, in vastly different degrees. But you've been meeting our needs and providing for us, and with many of us you've given abundantly. And so we know that this is important because what we do with our money shows where our hearts are, and you care deeply about our hearts. And so we pray that you would use this time this morning to do whatever renewing, convicting, encouraging, comforting, empowering work you need to do in our hearts. So we come to you with openness and openness that you yourself create by your spirit. So please surprise us with what you'll even do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to summarize what this text, these two chapters show us. I'm going to summarize it in one sentence and then just show you or prove to you from this text that this is what it says. So here's the sentence. Joyful generosity is a grace-empowered response to the gospel to meet the needs of others that results in more grace to give more for the glory of God. I know that's a long sentence, so we'll walk through that. So joyful generosity is a grace-empowered response to the gospel to meet the needs of of others that results in more grace to give more for the glory of God. So here's what we'll do. We'll see this unique generosity, this unique joyful generosity here, and then we'll walk through that sentence or that definition in five parts. And it'll take us through this 
uh, text, these chapters. So the focus of these two chapters is on this radical kind of giving that we can call joyful generosity. So here's the context. Paul is writing to these Corinthians, this, this church at Corinth, and he's writing to, because he wants to take up a collection of money. And the purpose of this collection in particular is to help poor Christians in Judea. So Paul is collecting money for poor Christians to give relief. But Paul is more interested in their motives here than the money. He starts off by drawing attention to an incredible example of another church. And he wants to give the Corinthians this example of what another church has done to show them that this is what he's after. And so it's the Christians in Macedonia. And so he tells them that that church, these Christians in Macedonia, have given with this surprising kind of joyful generosity. So look how he describes it here. Those Christians were poor, and they were going through some kind of trial, and they gave with gladness. Look at the effusive language in verse 2. So this is this example of a church in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So there's a severe test of extreme poverty, and yet there's an abundance of joy overflowing with a wealth of generosity from them, these suffering poor Christians. And verse 4 is incredible. They were begging Paul to contribute to this collection he was taking up. He says this, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So Paul is saying this is an example of joyful generosity. Later in chapter 9, verse 7, uh, Paul says, and this is probably one of the most well-known verses of these chapters, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying not just, you know, give with a smile. He's referring to this kind of radical giving. It's an overflow of deep joy. So if you, if you give out of a reluctant heart, Paul's saying God doesn't want it. Um, God is interested in a heart that gives freely and out of joy. So the point is motivation matters with money. So for us, Do you have, just think about yourself, think about the ways in which you give, either to individuals, to our church, to ministries. When you give, do you have this kind of eagerness to participate for the cause of Christ? If you couldn't give, would that be a burden to you? Or is giving the burden? Do you give generously and with a sense of joy? I know from experience with many of you, many of you do, and you're an example to me. I am so encouraged by the example um, I have seen in many of you over the years. Um, So keep on going, and thank you for the example that you show us. Um, I know for some of us, though, this may not describe you. Um, You can look at statistics uh, online on your own. I never know how much to trust them, so I don't quote them much. Uh, But surveys kind of indicate that many Christians are not excelling in this. Uh, They're giving, uh, actually, a small percentage of Christians give, um, and sometimes the percentage can be small. So now you may be asking a question that always gets asked about this topic, which is, how much are we supposed to give? Is it 10%? 
And this text uh, does not give a percentage. You won't find it uh, in the New Testament. It gives us, instead of a percentage, it gives us principles. So Paul is motivating them to give generously, to give eagerly, to give abundantly. So for some of you, 10% would actually be uh, way too small. If you were to give with this kind of eagerness, this kind of earnestness, this kind of joy, uh, 10% would be way too small. I think for most middle class and upper class Christians, that 10% is like a minimum starting point. Um, I've heard John Piper say something like, if, if you're a typical kind of middle class American and you're giving 10%, you're robbing God. Um, so it's actually a, a, maybe a starting point for many of us. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. He said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusement, etc., is up to the standard common, those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our, in other words, if your standard of living is the same as the rest of America's standard of living, with your same income, you're probably giving too little, he's saying. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it's too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. So, across these two chapters, you won't find a percentage to give. We get the sense that if you're in poverty, you may be more like those who need to receive. I mean, Paul's taking a collection for the Christians in Jerusalem. You don't get the sense that he's asking them to take a collection for others. So, some people may actually be in need to receive, and 10% is going to be too much in your season of life. Paul says elsewhere that um, if you are in need and you're able to work, you should get a job. And one of the reasons to work is to be able to give to people who are in need. He says that in Ephesians chapter 4. So the goal is actually to make money to give money. Um, but he also gives this example of these Christians in Macedonia who were impoverished and yet gave abundantly, and they're kind of the ideal example. So you can see the point here. For many of us in this room, if we have this kind of eagerness and joy to give, why not shoot for 20 or 30 percent and then go from there? So the focus is on joyful generosity. Now, let's, through, let's walk through this description of joyful generosity in five parts. So first, joyful generosity is grace-empowered. Um, and this is so important, especially if what I just said a few minutes ago, like shoot for 20 or 30 percent and go from there, sounds kind of radical and unrealistic to you. Um, this is really important. Because Paul doesn't just say, hey, give a lot of money. We're, we need to understand, how, did the, how does this work? Um, and it's grace-empowered. So I noticed something in this text that I, I don't think I had seen before, um, before this past week in these chapters. So Paul repeatedly calls their act of giving an act of grace. That's the phrase he uses over and over and over in these chapters. So why does he call it an act of grace? It's because this kind of joyful, generous giving is actually a supernaturally empowered act. It's an act of God's grace working in us and through us. Giving is an act, not just of the human will, but of God's grace transforming the human will. It's an act of grace. So look at verse 1. Paul's about to describe this radical act of giving from the Macedonians, and he introduces it like this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So there's the, this idea, this grace of God. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches 
of Macedonia. And then he describes their act of generous giving. So do you see how Paul is drawing attention to God's work from the beginning here? When Paul sees this kind of joyful generosity, when you see this kind of joyful generosity in others, Paul is seeing the grace of God at work. It's supernatural. Their ability to overflow with joy, even in poverty, is the grace of God working in them. So he sees this, and he's like, I want to tell you about something God did. This is amazing that God gave this group of people this kind of radical generosity. And so now Paul's saying to the Corinthian Christians, and by extension to us today, I want you to have that same kind of joyful, eager generosity. That wasn't just a one-time radical thing for the Macedonians. This is an example of what can happen for every Christian in every church. Um, and so he calls it, throughout these chapters, an act of grace. You can see it in verse 6 and 7 here in chapter 8. It's what true Christian giving is. So when you put a check in the offering box, when you click submit on an online giving, when you give something generously to another person, what's happening there is if you're doing that out of an abundance of joy and generosity as a Christian, that's an act of God's grace in you. God's working in your heart to bless that person through you and to bless you in doing that. So we shouldn't really be surprised by this, actually. Um, if we've read the Bible long enough and considered our own hearts long enough, we know that we're actually quite stingy, right? We tend to hoard money or spend it lavishly on ourselves and rationalize it as needs. I mean, we do this all the time, um, especially as Americans, and it takes God's grace to change us, to be honest with what we're actually even doing with our money. So here's an implication. When you give, in order to give with this kind of abundant, joyful generosity, you need God to work in you. You can't do this on your own, and you shouldn't try on your own. So combine prayer and giving together. Ask God to give you this kind of heart. Ask Him to give you this kind of generosity. When you're considering how much to give, uh, maybe if you ask God for a number, He'll give it to you. My sense is he's way more interested in the kind of prayer that says, God, would you uh, help me right now to give whatever would be joyfully generous and overflowing right now? And then when you do it, and you drop the check in or click submit or give that thing to someone, then throw up a prayer of thank you because God enabled you to do this. So giving's an act of grace. Second, joyful generosity is a response to the gospel. I love how Paul motivates them next in verses 8 and 9. So Paul gives them this incredible example of the Macedonians, but he doesn't just say, so be like them. Aren't you so encouraged and inspired? Just do it. No, he reminds them of Jesus and his grace to us in the gospel. This is the power for generosity. Seeing and trusting and enjoying Jesus' generosity to you in the gospel. So look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Paul is taking the gospel, and he's applying it to this situation of financial giving. So he doesn't just say, you know, um, Jesus died for you, so give money. 
He actually helps us understand the gospel in kind of economic terms so we can see the connection and apply this to how we handle our money. So he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, so he was rich in the sense of having all wealth and glory in eternity past. But what did he do? Paul says, yet for your sake he became poor. It's his incarnation taking upon himself the form of a servant, becoming truly human, living among us, experiencing all the weakness and poverty of being a human being. And why did he do it? So that you, by his poverty, especially on the cross, might become rich. Not necessarily rich in wealth, uh, but rich in every way that matters most. He came to bring us new life, new hearts, joy in knowing him in eternal life. So now think with me how this statement that he just made about Jesus is supposed to function. Why did he say this? How is this supposed to land on our hearts? They already know it, and most of you do as well, right? He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. So he's not saying, I have something new for you that'll help. No, he's taking something they already know in their heads and saying, let's press this into your hearts and apply it to how you handle money. You already, you know the gospel. Let's get this worked into the fabric of your mind and heart to to change how you handle your money. So you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. So he's reminding them of the gospel because we need to re-believe the gospel all the time. Uh, We don't just, you know, we don't move beyond the gospel. We move deeper into it and it moves deeper into us. We need to keep re-believing it every day. So the Christian vision for giving is not Believe the gospel for the forgiveness of sins, and then figure out how to be generous the rest of your life, because you should. It's the Christian thing to do. No, it's keep receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus in such a way that it transforms you to be generous with others as Jesus is generous toward you, right? Keep believing the gospel in such a way that it changes your heart and detaches it from the love of money so that you can then give that money freely to others. And so, what happens as we receive Jesus and rejoice in Jesus? Well, we become generous like Jesus. So, here's the point. Giving is what we do when we believe the gospel, right? We give more as we believe the gospel more deeply. So, very practically, as you think about giving… And the next time you sit down to think about how much you'll give to to some ministry or a church or someone, remember the gospel. Remind yourself of 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Thank the Lord for that. Receive that afresh. And out of that, think and feel, okay, Lord, help me now be generous with others as you've been so generous to me. So third, joyful generosity meets the needs of others. So Paul says that their giving is for meeting the needs of other Christians. He says this throughout the chapter, uh, both chapters. In particular, he's referring to these Christians who were in Jerusalem and Judea. There was a famine previously in that area, and so the Jewish Christians there had become poor. And so Paul is now calling on other churches to supply the need of those Christians in Judea. So, for example, look at chapter 8, verse 14. He's saying, your abundance, right, you Corinthians, your abundance at the present time 
should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So Paul isn't saying there needs to be a complete economic equity here, but this is a fairness in terms of needs being met, and that's important. So Christians are to show the world how we can partner together to meet one another's needs. And Paul's referring to this collection that he's taking up in other letters as well. It was actually a really big deal for him. Uh, This collection became an example of unity between Christians across all sorts of divides that were common in the culture of the time. So he's inviting here wealthier non-Jewish believers in Corinth to help the poor Jewish Christians in Judea. So this would be an act of unity and support and solidarity and partnership across ethnic lines, social lines, economic lines. And so as Christians, Uh, What a great example for us to think how we can partner with other brothers and sisters across the globe in other areas to support them. And so as Christians, a summary here is that we care about all needs, including material needs and especially eternal needs. We care for poor brothers and sisters in Christ, like in this chapter. We support the ministry of local churches, and we give to spread the gospel to meet people's eternal needs in Christ. So one question you may be wondering um, when we think about the topic of giving is this, how do we prioritize where we give? Um, is, are we supposed to give to only to our local church? Do we not have to give to the local church? Can we give elsewhere instead? Do we do both and in what proportion? And again, the Bible doesn't give a direct answer here to that question. Uh, But the encouragement I would give is to prioritize giving to your local church, and then above and beyond that, uh, give to other needs and ministries. So I mentioned before here, there's no percentage here to give. So it's not even give 10% to the local church and then above and beyond that 10% elsewhere. Maybe that's what you'll do, but that's not what this is saying. The vision is joyful, abundant, generous giving to meet the needs of others, material and eternally. And we do that um, with a priority to the local church because the local church is the one institution that Jesus created that is essential for the mission. And as elders and deacons, we care to uh, take care of our financials, financial, um, uh, make sure our finances are used wisely. So I think of three larger categories for our budget. I think of helping those in poverty and distress Think of sustaining our own ministry and supporting our staff and facilities for our ministry and mission. And then we also advance Jesus's mission by supporting mission partners. So when you give to our church, I encourage you to just have this in mind. Um, Don't just think, okay, we need to give to the church. Give with this kind of purpose. Give to meet needs. Recognize that in giving, we're giving to help those in distress, to support our staff and facilities for the sake of ministry and mission, and then we're giving to support uh, mission to our neighbors and the nations and spreading and advancing the gospel outward. And when you give anywhere else, give with that same kind of intentionality. Remind yourself, why am I giving here? And let that fuel why you give. So remember the, the purpose. So when we give, we're partnering together to meet needs, both material needs and eternal needs. Now, what's the result of the giving? Leads forth then, joyful generosity results in more grace to give more. 
So here's what this means. When you give with this kind of joyful generosity, God sees that, and God will make sure that your needs are met. He will take care of you. Paul gives an agricultural illustration for how this works. So he gives us this principle of sowing and reaping. He says that our giving is like planting seeds in the ground that will then produce a harvest to come. So jump to chapter 9 now in verse 6. This is where he gives this principle. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So picture your money. I mean, think of wherever you have it, in your pocket, your home, in the bank, in funds, wherever you have it. Those are seeds, and they're seeds for sowing. So you have a couple options for what you'll do with all your seed. You can eat all of it, you can eat some of it, or you can plant some of it. So let's say you put a handful in the ground and then you eat the rest. What kind of harvest will you get from what you put in the ground? You get a small harvest. Let's say you eat a smaller portion to meet your needs and then you plant the rest generously and lavishly. What kind of harvest will you get? You'll get an abundant one, right? So here's the point. God is in charge of the harvest and he'll make your seed lead to a harvest. And he's saying there's a principle here. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. So what's the harvest? Well, it seems as Paul describes it here, the harvest uh, is in, in both the fruit of your work in the effect it has on other people in meeting needs in advancing the gospel, and also on how God will keep supplying you with more seed for more sowing. So in other words, you get back what you need in order to keep serving and giving. So he says this a number of times in verses 8 and 11 here in chapter 9. So let's just walk through a few of these. Look at verse 8 with me. So as you sow, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all time or in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So as you give, he will make sure that you have everything you need to keep abounding in good works, which may include giving more, certainly includes serving in various ways. Verse 10, he who supplies, this is God, seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, and this is the key word here, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God is the one who gives seed to the sower. He's the one who gives us any financial benefits we have, any blessings we have, and he's, he's giving it to us and he's doing it so that we can sow. And then he multiplies the seed for sowing and multiplies the harvest. So he, in other words, as we sow and reap, he makes sure our needs are met and he gives more so that we can give more. And it's a cycle that repeats itself so that we can be lavishly generous with others. So as you give away money, generously, joyfully, lavishly, don't be surprised if God gives you back more. But remember why he does this. He's not doing it so that after this great act of selfless generosity, you can then hoard it and be selfish. 
right? There's no health and wealth prosperity gospel like using God and saying, okay, if I'm generous here, then he'll give me more, and then I can be selfish, right? That's not the point. Um, He's giving it not so we can keep it for selfishness, but so we can keep giving more. In the end, our giving is not really about how much we can give. It's about showing how much God gives us, and it's about demonstrating our trust in him to meet all our needs and continue giving so we can participate in giving to others. So if your basic needs are met, what do you do with what you have left? Why do you think God has given you all that money? Well, there are seeds for sowing. He has blessed you so you could be a blessing to others. And so now we come to the final part of these chapters, and it shows us the ultimate goal of our giving. So sixth, joyful generosity is for the glory of God. So it is not ultimately for our own enrichment or even for the blessing of others. It's ultimately, the end result of all of this is for God's glory. Paul says this in a flurry of different ways at the end of chapter 9. So after these two chapters, this is where he goes with all of this. He says that their giving is not just to meet the needs of people, but it's for the result of this to lead into praise and thanksgiving for God's glory. So look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, another way of talking about the collection he's taking, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And then he explains how God is glorified in all of this giving. Why is there thanksgiving being raised to God? And the answer is because people will see that the giving that's happening, this radical, joyful, freeing generosity, is a grace-empowered response to the gospel. It's verse 13. By their approval of this service... They will glorify God. Why? Because of your submission that comes from, right? Your submission that comes from is rooted in your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So, in other words, people will see that your giving is coming from your confession of the gospel. And so, they'll thank God. They'll praise God that this is a grace-empowered response to the gospel happening in your life. So, we do not give as a way to get rich for our own sake. The prosperity, health, and wealth gospel is not here. We don't give in order to line the pastor's pockets so he can be selfish with it. No, we don't ultimately even give as an end result, the ultimate end for the sake of others. We give for the sake of others, ultimately for God's glory, so that many people will say, wow, Uh, Look at that generosity that only God could create in their hearts. So look at verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So do you see the grace of God upon them again? Again, coming back to the beginning of the chapters, when Paul sees generosity, he sees the grace of God at work in causing people to respond to the grace of Jesus in the gospel to give freely and generously in a way that is surprising to anyone else watching. And then he's saying, as you do that, people will see that, and they will say, praise God. Because this kind of generosity can only happen when a human heart is liberated 
from the selfish hoarding and lavish self-spending that is prevalent in every human heart around the globe. Like this can only happen by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus. So as we wrap up here, a couple very brief implications. been giving them throughout, but just to wrap up a couple. First, receive and re-receive the gospel of Jesus. Uh, he was rich, but in his incarnation he became poor for you, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Um, if you have never received the generosity of Jesus, your first step is not to give a thing, but to receive. God wants to give to you. Everything you have was from him in the first place anyways. He doesn't need your money. Um, he wants to give you his grace through Jesus. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to unite you to his son Jesus so that by being united to Jesus' death on the cross, your old self is buried and your sins are forgiven and no more. And by being, being united to Jesus in his resurrection, you join him in his rule over all things. And therefore, as Paul says elsewhere, you inherit everything. So to be a Christian is actually to share with Jesus in being the inheritor of everything. So God wants to give that to you. And he wants to give you that eternally. And he wants to give you the grace of knowing him and the Lord Jesus, the greatest treasure forever. And so you just open up and receive. And you say, uh, I receive your grace. And then you begin following Jesus on this journey. And so as a Christian then, for those who have done that, you keep doing that. You keep opening yourself up and you say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself to me. Thank you for giving everything I have. Um, you know, when we do this, it's no surprise that in chapter 8, um, right at the beginning, Paul makes that amazing statement in verse 5. He said, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So when we realize that the Lord Jesus has given himself for us, uh, we give our whole self to him. We don't just say, I'm going to give you 20%. No, we actually acknowledge, I think over our budget, it says God's money, right? What are we going to do with his money? Uh, we give ourselves to him, every part of ourselves. It's his. And then we think, okay, what does it look like now to use God's money for his glory? So we receive and we receive and we receive and that's what creates this response. So, receive the grace of Jesus. Um, second, for those who are trusting Jesus, you may need to start giving. Uh, some of you have intentions to give, and you have had intentions to give, but you've actually never begun. Um, and I know that's common, because I've talked to you all, and I understand how my, my own self works. You can have great intentions and say, yeah, I just, I've always wanted to, I just never got around to it. Just setting up the account or getting the giving going. And so you have intentions and you're thinking, well, it doesn't seem like things are falling apart without me, so I'll get around to it. Um, this is calling all Christians to be able to participate in this. So if you have not started, start uh, giving. Um, you know, it's easy to put it off because there's no bill collector calling you, right? The, the elders and deacons aren't calling everyone saying, we've noticed your giving has gone down. You know, I mean, we're just not doing that, right? And so the motivation is totally different. It's not for fear. It's not arm wringing. This is presenting the gospel, receiving the Lord Jesus, and saying, okay, how can I be generous? And before the Lord, empowered by his spirit. And then third then, if you've started giving, 
grow in generosity. And I say grow, I'm not saying just keep giving. I'm saying grow in giving. And here's why I say that. Look at chapter 8, verse 7. Paul says, as you excel in everything, and he starts listing these kind of spiritual gifts that are present in the Corinthians uh, church that he's drawn attention to in both letters. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you. So they're growing in all sorts of ways. See that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace, right? Giving. So there's something to grow in and excel at with generosity. We can work to become more and more generous. So wherever you are in generosity, and maybe, you know, if we were to kind of pull everyone, we'd identify, my goodness, that person is blowing us all out of the water. Even you can excel all the more because this is a grace to grow in like the fruit of the Spirit. Generosity is something we cultivate and keeps growing. You know, one of the benefits, uh, just very practically here, about automatic giving online for our church and ministries is that we can set it and be consistent with it. Uh, But the downside is that we can set it and forget about it, right? And we can both then detach our giving from purposefulness, from prayerful dependence on God, and we can actually not have these opportunities to revisit growing in generosity. So I just encourage you, if you have it set and you don't do this already, set a, just a regular time, some rhythm in life to reassess and reevaluate uh, before the Lord and grow in giving. So set a rhythm of revisiting it. And when you do that, you can prayerfully thank God for His grace, give your whole self first to Him, and then consider, Lord, would you empower me to give generously um, and joyfully for your glory? So what a privilege we have um, in light of the gospel and in light of God's grace. So as we think, as you think this afternoon or this evening sitting down, reevaluating giving or sometime this week, which I'd encourage you to do, like find a specific concrete time to apply this sermon. Uh, revisit that sentence and pray to the Lord. And if you have a spouse, be unified with them on how you will take a step in growing in giving. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your lavish grace to us in Jesus. You've created us and given us every blessing that we have. You don't need a thing back from us. It's yours anyway. And so thank you for the privilege of being invited into this process of being generous. We see in the gospel your heart of generosity. This is who you are. This is what you're like. And you are happy in doing it. And so thank you for not only forgiving us for our selfish stinginess, but for transforming us so that we could become like you, that we could participate in this joy of giving uh, that you experience and that you give to us. And so we pray that you would surprise us as individuals in the church family with your freeing power um, of this gift of generosity to us and through us. Pray this in Jesus' name.